Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Hi, and welcome to Connecting a Better World, where we spend time meeting some of the most incredible human beings who make this world a better place. We will learn how each individual took their ideas, mission, and purpose to create and serve others in business and organizations that surround social good, social entrepreneurship, and social impact, and find out how we, together, can further connect others to help. I am your host, Dr. Natalie Phillips. We were talking real briefly before, and I know a little bit about realities for children, not necessarily everything that you do, because I was looking through your website, and you guys do so much for the children of Larimer County. But before we even get into realities for children, I really want you to start off with you. I want to learn about you first. You know, share with me who you are, and how did you get involved in this type of work? Wow, uh, that's a that's a big question. <laughs> uh, I have been working in child protection services for over thirty years in uh, in Larimer County. My my education is psychology, human services, so I've always worked in the counseling field. But uh, I, I I tend to believe once you once you kind of meet some of these kids and you get involved with what we do, it's a it's a pretty hard thing to ever step away from. So it's been. You know, it, it has literally been my my life's calling to uh, to provide for and serve and to work as a counselor, and that that was kind of how uh, it all began. When I first came to Colorado uh, out of college. I started working initially as a a counselor, actually a residential facility counselor for children under the age of twelve that were all uh, kind of real extreme cases of physical and sexual abuse that um, that really couldn't go into normal placements. They weren't behaviorally struggled with a foster placement or kinship placement or that sort of thing. So it was a residential facility where I worked for as a lead counselor there for a while. And of course, really, you really get to know these children on a really understanding some of the, the challenges that they face. And we're talking about children that are, you know, seven, eight, nine years old and what they've already been through. From there, I, I moved on. I wanted to work with a little different population with more aging out of the system. And so I worked as a chemical addictions counselor with, uh, with chemically dependent delinquent teenagers that were all coming from backgrounds of domestic violence, of child abuse, of those sorts of same scenarios that my younger children that I worked with was. And through that process of, of those, and I even worked with some parole supervision. So again, these kids getting into significant trouble at a young age because of the circumstances in which they were raised in. So seeing a very wide range of our children, but ultimately all focused on that, that population, that demographic of children that have been abused, neglected, abandoned, or at risk in our, in our community. What really kind of frustrated me through those years of work, as much as I, I love those relationships with those kids and, and, and being there for them through that process, was watching how often we would just have situations where a child would have needs there was even sometimes court-ordered requirements for these kids to, that they needed to have, and there just weren't either the programs or the resources or the funding to meet those needs. And seeing time and time again, children just kind of what I refer to as slipping through the cracks of the system. Uh, we have a, a wonderful system. This isn't a negative statement. I fact, we work very, very closely with child protection services to this day, but there, there is a bigger need out there than the system's designed to handle, and we needed to create a, a, a stronger connecting point for our community. And 
I, I learned that through uh, my next phase of employment. I, I, I then left as a chemical addictions counselor and actually became, I worked for the Department of Human Services. I was a child protection intake investigator, so I did the intake side of things, which you're actually going out onto the front lines on calls and, and reviewing the situations, making recommendations to the courts. I moved from that position. Uh, not, I worked as a court expert in that area, but I really didn't, uh, that wasn't really my calling. My call is more towards the heuristic side. So I didn't want to do the investigatory side as much as I wanted to focus on the healing side. So I left, uh, I kind of transitioned out of in investigation or intake and moved into uh, ongoing case management where uh, I got to work with certain kids on my caseloads and really thought we're at this place, we're kind of at the top of the food chain and felt we could really enact change and we could really make sure that we didn't see kids slipping through the cracks. Um, it was a very challenging role. If you know anybody or any of your listeners know anyone that works in child protection, works anywhere in this field, I encourage you to give them a hug every now and then once, once social distancing allows or just a thank you because it's a very, very tough job. And it doesn't, it's not something a lot of people can last with a lot, and especially when we're really limited on, on all that we can do for our kids. And I realized even in this role where I was working in, in child protection, it was just a reality that there were not enough funds, not enough resources, not enough programs to meet every need for the children that, that we're working with and fighting for to get them out of abusive situations and help them with the healing process towards recovery and move on. And there just wasn't enough there. And that was, that was kind of my calling into realities for children. That's a little bit of the, the background of what, what led me to where we're at today. What is your timeline? Because Realities for Children started around 1995, correct? And correct. was it something that you were in on the ground floor or was it something that was already going? And as you were looking for funding sources and places to get connected to these families that you were working with, was it something that just sort of fell in line? Yeah. To answer your first question, I, I founded Realities for Children Charities based on these needs. And so uh, really what, what started that was I could see that we had kids that were sitting through the cracks. And I do believe that as a community, we could meet these needs and see that no child was forgotten. That the kids that we knew that were needed these services had the support that they needed. And so I'd reached out to uh, actually all of the, the nonprofit agencies, the service organizations that worked within my caseload when I was at the department and sat down and chatted and said, you know, what would it take? What would it require? What would those services support situations look like so that we could make sure that these kids were provided for when funding was exhausted or there was nowhere else to turn. And as, as a group, this was in early 1995, uh, it was a very interesting meeting. I think I had 11 different agencies in that room and we sat down and, and we were able to kind of over a course of a couple hours identify our first core services. And of course, the number one thing and what we're still founded on today is emergency services. So we needed to have this financial safety net when all other resources were exhausted or otherwise unavailable, that there was a place to turn to so this child didn't slip through the cracks. So everybody agreed we needed emergency services. Everybody agreed we needed better community awareness about the problems of child abuse. Understanding how significant it is is a key factor to being able to address and fix it. A lot of ongoing agency support so that they could be sustainable through their outreach in the community was something that they all wanted. And, and another really big one was youth activities. A lot of organizations do a great job at providing the direct services for them, but they're not staffed or equipped to kind of provide these letting a child be a child during difficult times. So uh, that was some of the things they identified. But 
during that process, and of course, namely, the, we knew we needed to have an emergency fund. We needed to have a place to go when there was nowhere else to go. But through this meeting, a, a kind of another awareness happened, and, and really, I would say, was the key kickoff to realities for children and, and what we do. And that was that none of these executive directors, none of these agency leaders of these 11 organizations knew each other. There wasn't a relationship. And, and, and it actually, in that meeting, it became pretty clear that the mindset is we're competing against each other. I had always seen the nonprofit world as we're all working together for the greater good of our, of our kids, in our case, of working with at-risk children. But at this circumstance, in 1995, I was, I was realizing that part of the problem we're dealing with is that if these agencies don't work together, we're not going to create a good continuum of service. So even if there were all the resources in the world, if we don't have a good continuum of service, if agency A doesn't work collectively with agency B and agencies, and no, no one organization is going to provide everything that these children need, what we needed to do was create a truly collaborative network. And as common sense as that probably sounds, that's not necessarily the reality. And I think you can look in a lot of different areas within the nonprofit community and even probably in the for-profit community and see that they see these things as competitive, even though they're working in the same area. And, and understandably so, right? I mean, there's a finite resource, or at least it was viewed as a finite slice of the pie of donations, grants, and fundraising dollars that they're all going after to keep their doors open. I realized in that meeting that I said, we, this is the biggest issue. We, we're not going to make sure no child is for not forgotten if we're, if we're not all working together to make sure that that happens. It was very interesting conversation, like I said. So that was the moment that we realized as much as we needed to create an emergency fund, we needed to create an effective means of working together in the nonprofit and even the for-profit community so that we can make sure that these children are provided for. So that was a that was a big moment, and I, and I can share with you that in that meeting, <laughs> believe the conversation went something like this, that we talked about that uh, the necessity to, to work together, and there was really this big concern about that. And they even said to us, you know, if you're going to be another nonprofit organization competing against us to provide the core services we need, we're not so sure we want it. And that, that was a real eye-opener to me, going, if, if we're going to negate providing what's needed because we're so busy trying to keep our doors open, we're missing the point. And so that was the number one calling of Realities for Children is to create a united organization of, of nonprofits working together collaboratively for not only the greatest good for our children, but for the best continuum of services. And, and frankly, it, it makes for a more fiscally efficient. We don't have overlaps in services and gaps in services the way we used to. So that was really the initial calling to unite our agencies. Then it was to figure out how we do that. And I'm happy to say, as of today, in Laramie County, we have 39 partner agencies that work collaboratively in service in our community. Which is great, too, because as I'm sitting here listening to you, from the business side of it, like, like you said, you know, when nonprofits are out there, they still have to make money to keep their doors open. And so somehow in that meeting, you were able to turn it from, yes, I understand that we have service hearts and we also need to make sure that we can pay the people that we need to pay um, to help run our nonprofits. But you somehow turned it into client-centered, I was going to say patient-centered, but family-centered care to remind people why they're doing what they're doing, basically, and, and making it a lot easier to not only maybe obtain funds, but then also for maybe if you look at it from the family side, did it make it also easier for them to have one area to come to and then 
be guided into what services can help because you have 39 partners now that you can refer to. And absolutely, it's, it's definitely grown to that. And, and that's become a, a big referral source. And, we, and we're not designed, Realities for Children Charities is not designed to repeat or duplicate any existing services. Our job is to make sure that no child goes without those services. And so it allows us to be very non-compete to those organizations. It's what kind of opened up the design that makes us so unique in the community. A lot of people here, you know, Realities for Children Charities is unique in that we're able to distribute 100% of every donation to direct services for kids. That is true, and it's based on our design, but I, I always kind of chuckle when that gets all the attention. Money tends to steal attention. The reason we have 100% distribution wasn't so that we could say we have 100% distribution of every dollar. It was so that we could unite those agencies in a way that we didn't compete with them. They can be part of our fundraising, part of our outreach, because 100% of what we're doing provides the core services that they need. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, philosophically, it makes sense. The big question is, how the heck do you do that? How do you run a nonprofit in a sustainable manner that 100% of every dollar that's donated goes to direct services and programs to the children that we work for? And, you know, it's very normal. I mean, a well-run nonprofit will see 30% or more of their, uh, their revenue, their donations go to administrative costs. So to create an entity that doesn't have nonprofit administrative costs, keeping the lights on, keeping staff in there, you know, having a facility, all the basic needs you have to provide, you know, that's, a, that's really unheard of. And that, that was what, what instigated us to, to create this model, which really involved for-profit community. We created a, a partner entity that is a cause marketing network of about 250 local businesses in our community. This is a separate entity. They get marketing, advertising, promotion, positive name association. These are the businesses that allow us to do what we do. And they underwrite all the administration of the charity as well. So that when you make a donation, it is going to direct services and programs for the kids. So that, that is phenomenal from a, from a fiscal efficiency standpoint. But what, I, what I'd like to point out to your listeners is that the purpose, and what I think is even more phenomenal and has a greater impact, is that it helps us to unite the nonprofit community in a way it's never been united before. And frankly, unite the nonprofit and the for-profit community in a way that has never been united before. And you've described it as like this hybrid business model. And I thought it was really interesting because I professionally have been introduced to realities for children because I'm an audiologist. And so I do remember when that side of the practice first opened, we were approached by realities for children about a director. Right? Is it? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty aggressive marketing outreach for our members, but there is one piece of that is a directory that's mailed and encourages people to do business with those businesses. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it makes sense now, and I'm seeing it a little bit better because now that I am also a board member of another nonprofit that helps and and we help volunteer for many different events that you have, then I get to see the other side of it too. And so it totally makes sense going back to your hundred percent distribution because I was sitting here going, Oh my gosh, how are they like having that building that they have and the warehouse that they have and everything? How is that possible unless they got a big donation or something like that? But it totally makes sense how this business model now works or the hybrid business model, I should say with both the four, profit-ish side of it, right? And and to use local businesses. And again, 
I'm also stepping back thinking, this is brilliant because you not only united the nonprofits that you're working with and your partners, but you've also united local businesses as well to not only help spread awareness about what you're doing, but then also see who else is out there and who supports some something like Realities for Children so that maybe me as a business can also refer to another business who is helping you guys out as well. So it's, again, another way of uniting people here in the community. You know, and that's absolutely, we call it the Realities for Children family. And, uh, you know, all family, and it's, you know, of course, connecting to being, uh, being family members for the children that we serve, but also if you look at a, a family, it has it has many parts to it. And our family of you know exists of the nonprofit community with thirty nine partner agencies in Laramie County. Uh, it exists of uh, the business communities uh, from our business membership and what they do. But here's a really neat piece that and we, people have heard of the term private social partnership. This is probably the closest model, or I'd say the most pure model of a true private social partnership. I look at it as a private social community partnership. Because here's something else that happened. And again, the byproducts in some ways of what we've been able to do have just been beyond expectation. The intention of the purpose to bring businesses in was so that we could unite the agency so we could make sure that no child is forgotten. In doing so, we really united a community because our, our agencies work with one another like they never have, but they also choose to work with all of our business leaders because they know those businesses, their board of directors, their volunteers, their donors, they know they wouldn't have the sport if it weren't for these businesses. So they go to those businesses. So it's a very mutual design now where the businesses benefit, the agencies benefit, but the community factor that has really kind of made it a full circle is, is the neat piece. And I, and I think this boils down to how we get people involved. You mentioned about being involved through YMSL as far as volunteer, as far as donating. And, and frankly, historically, if we were to bring everybody in the county, let's say, in the room and say, child abuse is real. Last year, there were 6,883 new reports of child abuse. This is a real issue in our community. And now nobody can put their head in the sand anymore. No one can pretend like they didn't know. Nobody, and, and they say, that's horrible. You know, how can we help? Historically, there's only been two answers to that question. Donate time, be a volunteer, get involved, and donate money. Make your donations. The problem with both of those answers is that it is a finite resource to most people. There's only so much you can donate time and money, and then you're unable to be involved in a lot of ways. And what we try to do with Realities for Children through this model is break down that barrier and create a way that people can be involved in it every day because you're going to spend the same time and same money to go get your coffee here or get your oil changed here or get your taxes done there or get your roofing done here or whatever service you need. Now you can choose to do it with the business that is providing, helping us provide for children every single day just by doing the same thing you would have anyways, but making a conscious choice of who you do business with. So it really created this answer, the third answer to the question, which is support the businesses that are making a difference. And in doing so, we continue to grow stronger and reach further. I think it's brilliant. And, you know, you're coming up on, I'm sitting here thinking it's 25 years now, right? Is that about right? This year will be the 25th year. Yeah, it's our 25th anniversary. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. And that's just amazing. I've only been in... Fort Collins for about 10 years, but just the whole, the stronghold that I've seen here in the community that surrounds Realities for Children and how many times it's popped up in just my, you know, conversations and things that we're doing either as a family or as a business too. I mean, it's definitely something that has united Larimer County and, and this area for sure. Yeah, it's, it's a, it really is a, a blessing to be a part of that. I feel, you know, I, I, I'm part of that family, you know, and it's, uh, it's amazing people. 
to watch what the, you know, the YMSL Young Men's Service League comes out and does not volunteers. But we had, I want to put that into perspective, just the way people volunteered last year alone, we had 1,053 volunteer positions filled last year alone. And you figure out of 365 days a year, that, that's a pretty wonderful way people can get involved. And, and the impact has been phenomenal. I mean, the reach has been staggering. I think you probably saw some of the numbers on just our emergency services that we provide collectively. Last year, we provided emergency services that benefited 3,458 children. That's a big number, but I, I actually have a harder time. When I look at the daily, that means we're providing emergency services on average to more than nine children seven days a week, 365 days a year. So it's, it's a huge impact, and that's just the emergency services. That's not all the other core services that allow us to you know, help these children heal and move forward and support the organizations that are doing just great work to, to help us accomplish that. So let's talk a little bit more about your services. I know that on your website, you have, you know, core services that you highlight. So talk me through some of the different ones. I know you've talked about emergency funding. Actually explain to my listeners what emergency funding exactly is. That's a a great point to, to clarify because I think we think everyone has a different opinion of what emergency resources. I think the simplest way I, I describe it is, um, First of all, we all of our kids are vetted. Someone doesn't come in off the street. Any requests that would come in, if if we were to have a child come off the street in, in an abusive situation, we would connect them with child protective services, with our partner agencies that can provide the services that they need, so that when the emergency service needs come to us, they're coming directly through our agencies. What makes our distribution unique is that we're able to receive and approve emergency grants within 60 minutes of a request, 24 hours a day. So our emergency uh, access is very, very direct and, and very, very fast, as, as it needs to be. But what constitutes an emergency? Um, it has to be requested through one of our partner agencies. That's kind of our vetting and that we know that this is a legitimate case where those needs are and that we have them fill out any other resources that have been exhausted. So we want to make sure that we're not the quick, easy alternative. We are the last stop. We are the safety net that this child would have gone without if we weren't there to catch them. But an emergency service is basically any, any service need for a child that's been abused, neglected, abandoned, or at risk within Larimer County when all other resources are exhausted or otherwise unavailable. So that casts a pretty wide net, meaning it can be anything from medical services. We've done things from scar removal. We've done you know, short-term uh, emergency placements and household. Some of those things that you probably look at as saying that's really an emergency sexual abuse counseling services when there's, you know, victim's compensation is exhausted, we, we fund the, those counseling services. So, I mean, you know, a lot of the things that you would see as very direct emergency services, but also things that may, you may not think of as, as such as shoes, if a child needs a pair of shoes. And, uh, and people go, well, how's, how, how are shoes an emergency? And you're like, well, if you've ever not had shoes, uh, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty big deal. We, we allow our agencies to kind of determine. They go through, and of course, our back, once they send a request into us, we look at it, make sure there's no other resources available, and then uh, we're able to make sure that they have those needs when they need it so that child does not slip through the cracks and we can see that no child is forgotten in our community. What about some of the other services that you provide? I think one of the big ones that was pointed from the very beginning was uh, community awareness. To get a community engaged, we not only need them to be aware of what the issues are in our community. I mentioned 6,883 new reports last year. We need people to understand we live in a beautiful, affluent, educated community, but child abuse is happening here. And not only aware of the problems, but then aware of the great resources out there, the organizations, how do they utilize those? 
why all of our partner agencies are listed on our website. So you can learn more about what they do, link directly to them. But I would say that the next piece then is how they can get involved in an efficient way, whether you're a business owner, whether you're an individual, whether your mother wants to do volunteering, donating, all of those things are ways that people can plug in. And our goal is to be able to open a door to anyone who wants to get involved in the negative. And so community awareness, that's a big part of why we do our major fundraising events. It's a lot of work to do major fundraising events, but we do it to raise dollars, but also to really raise awareness, raise connectivity, let people in the community know our children are out there and find a way that they can get in. So community awareness is a big one. Emergency funding is, of course, a very big one. Uh, we also do a lot of agency um, sponsorship support. So we help to support virtually all of our partner agencies fundraising and outreach events, allowing them to be very, very successful. We've seen, if you look at ROI and what you're putting into as far as community awareness and net returns, it, it really can't be beat as long as you don't care who, who the money goes to. As long as it's getting to provide the services, that's what we want to do. So agency outreach and support, helping them be more visible. The other big ones that we do, of course, are our youth activities. This is one that we, we had over 4,000, in fact, 4,191 children attended our youth activities last year. It's a wonderful thing. We started it and was identified as a need because just because you're a six-year-old sexual assault victim doesn't mean you're not a six-year-old. They should have the opportunity to go out and play and to go out and have fun. And it gets into things that other kids don't. Not only is it just allowing a child to be a child during a difficult time, we found it to be very, very cathartic. It allows, I mean, in fact, we've done some very intentional things with female sexual assault victims. We do ropes courses, uh, that sort of thing where we support that allows them to, they have to learn to trust. They have to learn to communicate. They have to learn to, to believe in themselves. You know, there's a lot of pieces there and that, that translates for a lot of therapeutic opportunity and, and other things as well. But primarily we do it. We provide these every month. It's free for our kids, of course, to attend. Come on down there. We always have food. We always have activities. Most recently, we had Colorado Eagles come out and skate at a, a ice skating with our, our, our children. And so these are just fun activities that, uh, that our kids get to do that maybe most of us kind of take for granted as a normal thing to be able to do with our children. This is something that these children need the realities for children family to be able to have those, those experiences. So youth activities are are very, very powerful. Kevcat and I host No Coke Radio, the weekly hour-long show dedicated to spotlighting musicians within the LGBTQIA community. You can listen to the show every Friday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time at NoCo FM. That's N-O-C-O dot F-M. NoCo FM is a 24-7 internet radio station. A little different, isn't it? Always streaming at www.noco.fm. We play all types of music from all over the world. Rock, hip-hop, indie, electronic. Everything has a place at NoCo FM. Well, except for bluegrass. There are other places that you can hear that. Thank you for listening to NoCo FM. The American Red Cross urgently needs blood and platelet donations and asks all healthy donors to schedule an appointment to give now. With the coronavirus outbreak, it is important to maintain a sufficient blood supply. 
Your blood donation is critical and can help save lives. Please, schedule an appointment today. Download the Blood Donor app, visit redcrossblood.org, or call 1-800-RED-CROSS today. You can make a difference. I was lucky enough to volunteer with my son at, I think it was a, was it a carnival that you guys had? Yes, the summer, summer carnival out of your home base, yeah. Yeah, and it was amazing because um, we were there uh, for a few hours, I would say, in the morning. And we started the distribution warehouse that you have and getting things all ready to go. And just the amount of things that that were provided for the families that day. Then we were out there greeting. You know, you had the Kona ice truck out there. You had jugglers out there. You had face painting. You had a karaoke, you know, thing in the back. Uh, and then my my son and I actually served pizza and we ran out of pizza. There was so much pizza, you know, and, and it just shows how many businesses and organizations were actually part of that. As I was standing there watching all the different pieces that we got to go around and be a part of. Hairdressers came out and were cutting hair too. So it was really, really incredible to see. You know, I just kept thinking, wow, this is just not one thing, but it's actually allowing people to have a somewhat normal, you know, day to have fun, exactly like what you said. Because I think there's so much, much stress and so much things that um, burden the families, the parents, you know, that. Or, or even the kids, that just having some type of normalcy really just relaxes them and gets them, you know, back to feeling like they're a human again, right? Yeah, well, thank you for, for volunteering and being a part of that. It, that is a special event that was actually sparked by one of our, our partner agencies to, to put this together. And of course, it's accessed to by all of our agencies. I think when you were there, you probably saw we had about 500 uh, kids through there that day. We've been doing this last several summers at the home-based facility. But some of the byproducts of that I found to be quite beautiful is um, what's happening. And you mentioned in this particular event, they're, they're having these fun activities. They're going through laser tag and playing with puppies and doing these sorts of things, but they're still getting resources, they're getting their hair cut, getting their eyes checked, finding out about resources in the community, getting items that they need. So it, it's one of those things they don't even realize, a lot of them as children don't even realize that's what's happening. They're just able to enjoy it. The, the piece that I love about what's happening with having these events as regular as we do is it creates a level of camaraderie and familiarity with one another sometimes. I, I talk about that even with our programs where we provide for children that are emancipating from the system. There's, there's not a graduating class of child abuse. It doesn't necessarily mean that these kids with like sad circumstances and challenging circumstances know each other. And in some ways, being able to connect at an activity a couple times a year or, or regularly, you know, creates relationships and opportunities that they they really need and don't necessarily have access to. So it's been great to see we do that at the carnival. I think the one you're referring to, I was there. And I just saw these kids in line to get stuff. And it, w- it wasn't hard for them to stand in line because they're standing in line with kid friends. They're standing in line with people they knew from the Chuck E. Cheese event they went to or whatever the last activity was. So it, there, there is a lot that comes with that. So it's, the youth activities are are pretty wonderful uh, resource. And that kind of ties into one of our other core services, which is item distributions. A lot of people, uh, we actually distributed items to over 5,000, actually almost 6,000 children last year received items from us. And we do, we do major 
you know, kind of year-round drives we do from our back-to-school supplies for our children so they can actually go to class and have the cool supplies that everybody else doesn't have a chance to really kind of fit in. We have our bikes for tikes distribution we do. We have our Santa's workshop toy distribution. We've done Thanksgiving meal distributions, diaper distributions, these sorts of needed items. And a lot of books, a lot of educational pieces go out. So that's uh, that's a really big part of our core services too. Like you said, we have a distribution uh, facility that is just for getting items in and getting them out to our to our kids and our families when they need it. So let's talk about that real quick because there's a lot of places that people can drop off, right? Donations. When do you take donations? Because I've been in your distribution warehouse and it is really well organized. So it's not like you've got bags and bags and bags of things sitting outdoors, you know, waiting to be, you know, filtered through and organized, anything like that. So if somebody listening to this is like, well, I've got tons of things that I could possibly donate. You know, I know that you have blankets, you've got personal hygiene, right? Things. So what are some of the things that you get donated as well as when are there certain times that people can donate and certain places that they can drop things off? First of all, Serena will be very happy to hear that you like how well-organized her distribution center is. She works really hard to do that. And part of how we do it is we aren't a drop-off. We're not designed like any place that would just drop off the items. They'll take it. But we don't, we don't operate it for lotteries. We, don't, we want our kids to get new quality pieces. We want them to be proud of the things. that We want them to feel good about those things. These are opportunities to feel better about a tough situation, not to feel down and out on top of down and out. So we're, we're pretty selective on that that our kids get new items or, or, you know, really quality items that go out. We're very focused on our drives. So when we do a drive, you can follow us on Facebook and that, like I mentioned, the back to school drive or any particular drive right now, for example, with the health issues we're facing with, um, you know, COVID-19 and, and frankly, the, the impact it's having on our kids, not so much just the, the, the disease, the, the virus, but the, uh, you know, stay at home orders and what that does for our children. So there's actually on our website at realitiesforchildren.com, it was right on the front page, my home page, a link to a page that says, these are the items we're collecting now for our kids. And it's anything that keeps them active, you know, arts and crafts, what we call busy boxes, pervert, filled with items to do, uh, sports equipment to play, board games, those sorts of things. And, you know, and there's, a, there's a whole list. So people can, can certainly go there. And then there's a way that they, they have to reach out directly to our office. They set up a time to bring it by. We accept it at that course. They get their tax slip at the time for their donations. And we make sure it gets to our kids in, in, in an equality, timely manner for the children that need it. So that's kind of an ongoing need. But the other side to it is we, we don't want people to drop off these. We kind of work the other direction. We want our kids to be able to say, our families, our, our, our caseworkers to say, this is what we need. Does somebody have it? Versus saying, this is what we got. Hope you can find somebody that needs it. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It totally makes sense. And and so we've incorporated, and I'm, you're giving me a perfect segue to share a, a, a great new program I, I couldn't be more excited about. We launched this in November. So this was in response to that. We were, you know, we were doing a lot of item needs. In fact, if we can provide items to our families, uh, if, when they come up to say we need money for a, a bed, we have a child that's been placed and we need a crib or we need a bed. And historically, that would come out of emergency funds, and the, you know those are depleted funds. But there's also a lot of people with beds and cribs and resources out there, like you mentioned, that may like to donate it. And if they're going to donate that, it saves those emergency dollars to go further. But it was a very inefficient system. We have a lot of issues with donating items because we, you know, there's it has to go out, and, and then we still have to have a caseworker there to make sure it's getting to the child. There's a lot of confidentiality factors involved in the delivery and that. So we spent about a year building a system called uh, Kind Connect. It's the kindness connection between our community and the children that we serve in a very real way. You can 
learn more about that at rfckindconnect.org. So it's Realities for Children, rfckindconnect.org. And what this is, is all of our 39 agencies have access to this portal in real time to go in and say, we just placed a child, we need a bed, we need a crib, we need a stroller, we need the items that you may have in your garage or basement that, you know, you're probably never going to have a garage sale for, but you know it has value and it can be valuable to somebody. And if you sign up on Kind Connect as an item donor, you just click on there as a donor, you will receive notifications on your phone and your email saying, ding, we just had a, a, a child that needs this. And if you don't have that, no, you don't mark it. If you do have it, go, hey, I have that. You, you click on that button. And that notifies through the system our trained delivery teams. So we have teams that are background checked and sensitivity trained that will then come out to your home, pick up that item, and direct deliver to the child so there's no delay. We launched it in November. It has been tremendously successful. In fact, we've seen it be very, very needed during this health crisis uh, as far as that goes. So it's still new. It's doing amazing things. Hundreds of items are being distributed every month to make it successful. And I want everybody that's listening to you hear this. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. It's, it, it's very, very easy to become a donor. You just say, notify me. And we need to build that donor base because the wider that donor base is, the more likely we will have what that child needs when they need it. And we also need delivery drivers. We are still building our delivery teams. There's background checks and training involved with that, and of course your badge and ID, uh, because you are you're very you're getting on a very frontline uh, level of service for our families. Uh, but we're growing both our delivery teams and our donor base so that we can always make sure those items are met. And that's another way we're able to just instead of saying I have something, see if you can find someone who needs it. Now you're being notified. This is what we need. Do you have it? And it's it's been a, a real godsend for our for our families and our children. And I've been really pleased to see how fast it's growing. Wow, that's amazing. And so my question to you is, are you also doing this on social media and using Facebook notifications? You know, we see a lot of these, whether they're groups or pages, you can set notifications and have somebody like anytime a new item or whatever gets dropped in there. Hey, we've got a need for this. And if you want to be on that notification list, you're just notified that way. Just like, and, and you're using Facebook, you know, to do it as well. So with your rfckindconnect.org, they have to go in and actually sign up for notifications. And are there different categories that they can say, or is it just, I want to be an item donor? You'll just sign up as a donor and you'll get notified. And if, and if you have that item, you click on it if you don't. And you can Said, if you want to be notified immediately, do you want to check on it once a week? Do you want to get it at the end of the day? So you can actually select how frequently. Otherwise, yeah. you don't necessarily want your phone dinging every minute. But I mean, well, it's like Craigslist too. You can be notified anytime something new drops in there. So I'm just thinking, like, if you guys aren't doing this on Facebook or some kind of social media thing, I bet you you could use the notifications from that platform to be able to do something similar as well. well we have some great leaders and, and volunteers that are really involved with it, and so what they've been doing, if they don't have the items and no one's donating the item. They go to those platforms and see, does anyone have that? And say, hey, would you like to donate this? We'll come pick it up. So that's been utilized. Um, we, we used to get our item donation requests out through social media, but this allows us to really control the flow because it, it'd be just literally a full-time job. And so this allows us to let the agencies put it out directly, individuals in the community respond directly, volunteer teams be notified, and allow this to happen in a real-time manner. So we've really kind of focused there, but that being said, we're looking for creative minds, and, and I think there's a lot of people out there that's, you know, that may think, hey, here's a way we can reach further to get more people involved and make sure these children have what they need. So we'll, we'll take all the good ideas we can get. 
And I like it too, because, you know, there's a, there's multifacets that I'm seeing too. So even as an, if you're signing up as an item donor, if you've got tons of connections and you might not have a lot of things, you can still sign up as an item donor, because as soon as you see that, you can reach out to your friends and say, Hey, does anybody have this, you know, and still be that contact point. It might be one, you know, degree of separation away, but at the same time, if your friends don't want to sign up, you can still sign up as an item donor and they could get your friends connected uh, to that um, as well. And then the other things that I'm noticing too, you know, going back to your counseling background, the way that you guys set it up, yes, I understand that it's a quick way of doing this, but also you're instilling confidence because these families have to ask for what it is, right? And a lot of the times, you know, and I'm just assuming, and that this is not in my pay grade at all, you know, as an audiologist, but I'm assuming when you're going through an abusive type of uh, situation, you don't ask for many things because you're scared, you know? And so instilling that confidence to say, this is what I need. No, really, whether it's for my family, my kids, whatever, you know, you're starting them in the asking process and, and being confident that they trust that that will be delivered if it can be. And then also um, that they feel important, that their needs are important. Again, that's something that I'm seeing the way that you, you set this um, process up. It really gets them to be confident and then also understand that their needs are important, which again, they might not have had in the past, which is brilliant. That's absolutely right. And, and that's why we call it the kindness connection. That's why it's kind connect is we really are creating that showing that we can connect and, and that we can be there. And that's such a big part of, uh, someone asked me, what are the, what are the most important words a child could hear? And I said, they aren't words, it's, it's actions. How do we show them that they're cared for? How do we show them that they're loved? How do we do that? And this is a way that everybody can do that. And like I said, we're a private social community partnership in what we're out there to do. So it's, this is a way community can get involved on a very real level. It's something that children see parents doing and witnessing you know, there is a way to be kind and to think beyond ourselves. And what does that look like? And, and those are really valuable lessons, not just for the children we're providing for, the families that are receiving it, but for the families that are involved in doing it. I would say, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of really neat opportunities within this thing. And like I said, it's a relatively new, uh, it's something we're working really hard to continue building and to continue to kind of spread that, that kindness out there into the community. And the, the last thought in response to your, your statement was that, Yes, I think that's where 25 years comes into effect. I mean, it's, it's not just the, the children and families. They know the realities for children. They know they're involved with us. So they know when it's realities for children, it's real and it's, it's going to be there for them. But it's also the relationships with 39 agencies because they're the ones that are reaching out for the families of the children on their caseload that they're working with. And that those agencies have a you know, 25-year relationship with our organization knowing when they reach out to us, it's going to be done right. The children are going to be provided for. That's everything. And I think that's the level of trust that we have with our organizations, with the families we serve, with our business partners, business members in our family, and, uh, and the community saying, look, when we come together to do something, we're going to do it, and we're going to do it right with the proper intention of focusing on our children. And we, there's not words that speak to that either. That's actions as well. It takes 25 years of showing that you're going to do what you say you do, and that allows us to be very effective. It's exciting to see that you guys are innovating because after 25 years, you can be lethargic and you can be used to what you're comfortable with. But to see your actions, you know, these families and these agencies even, to see your actions of innovating and coming up with new ideas of how to make things better, that also, you know, speaks volumes because it's your actions of being able to think of new ways to actually have these touch points with these families, right? Yeah, 
Now, and I think that's really, really important. I think the touch point is right on. And that, that is the counseling background because it's not just an item, right? It can't just be a dollar. It needs to be care. It needs to be hope. It needs to be kindness. It needs to be, we're in this together and we're here for each other. So let's talk a little bit more about some of your events. Now, we talked about the carnival. We talked about some of these different, you know, fun um, youth activity, special programs. What about some of these other events? I know that you said you've got some fundraising events. You know, how do people get involved in that and maybe volunteer and help out or what your needs are, donations for auction items? You know, talk to me about some of those things as well as I believe there's also even um, something like tree lighting right that you do and uh so talk to me about some of these other things that you do projects events that you are involved in. yeah our events and our program I mean, it's a long it's a deep rabbit hole there's a lot of things that we're involved with and again we try to make those opportunities for whatever you're into a way to get plugged in i did want to back up though there was one more of our six core services we didn't touch on and i think i should at least mention that because uh, it's a real it's our it's our newest core service and that's our facility space um, you've been out there. We have a four-acre facility. What inspired that is that virtually all of our agencies needed larger facility space that was safe and secure and, you know, created a, a, a place that kids wanted to be at. And so our home-based facilities is a free facility space for all of our 39 agencies to use for their programs, their services, their resources. For their children, we have a private park, playground, child care center, agency hall, distribution center. And uh, this has been just tremendous. We had our second full year in 2019 of that being available. First full year of use was 2018. In 2019, we had over, well, we had 8,232 children, agency leaders, guardians, and guests use that space in one year. So it's a huge need. And if you think about what was happening in the past was a lot of agencies were we were conceding a lot of things. If you're going to churches or service clubs or places like that, you do concede some level of confidentiality, consistency. If you have some of those things, maybe you're lacking some, some quality, a place that, you know, our kids can become very institutionalized. We wanted to create a place that the kids can enjoy going to. It's a park. It's a place that they can play. It's a place they can connect. It's a place they can heal and they can learn and do that. So this is a, a huge core service that was literally built just to be able to provide that. And to see that we had over 8,000 children and guardians and agency representatives utilize that last year just speaks to how important that resource has been. And it's been truly that physical connecting point of a virtual uh, connection of all of these organizations. So that's been really powerful too. So I just, I just want to gloss over that because it is a really valuable. This is an area where uh, buildings, you know, equipment, just a wide open space for your, the partners to be able to access. Okay, but also I believe as you, Young Men Servicing, we've used your space as well for meetings. Now, is it something that is rentable to people? No, it's only utilized by our agencies. It's never, I think if anytime you use it as a meeting, it's been sparred on after volunteering on a project. So obviously our volunteers come out there, they put things together for us. And certainly if you guys were to meet afterwards and, and, and do that, that's, that's unique. We get requests all the time from graduation parties to weddings to everything out there. And we're 100%. This is utilized, as you can see, by the numbers daily by all of our agencies. And it needs to be a private confidential space just for our children. So that's it's for agencies to utilize. It is, yeah, yeah, it is the park and the playground and basically a resource for them 
and for their families. Okay, good. I'm glad I clarified that too. And they did. That was where um, the boys actually were making ornaments out of the old Christmas tree lights. And then they had a really quick meeting and they were learning about how to tie ties. <laughs> I remember yeah. that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. So that's, uh, that's pretty much our core services and what we do. And then, you know, our, our events are about connecting community to these things. You mentioned the lights. That is about our night lights event. It's the big 50 foot blue tree in the heart of downtown Fort Collins at First Presbyterian Church. That is uh, one of their largest fundraisers where people can come together and sponsor a light on the tree. And all of our events, whether it's our, our gala, which is a big uh, you know, awards gala where we recognize leaders in our community, we provide our collegiate scholarships to our children emancipating from the system. We do our dream awards for children that are struggling in their placement. That's a, just a really kind of a powerful uniting evening where you come together at this gala and people can really meet our family, our kids, and you get a great cross-section of you know agencies and community members and business leaders and, and everybody that come together for our children, volunteers that get involved. So that's, that's a, a powerful event. That's every April, National Child Abuse Awareness and Prevention Month, which is what we're in the middle of right now. We have our, our Realities Ride and Rally. This is in, in 2013, became the world's largest motorcycle poker run. Uh, that's a huge outreach for our children and, and getting people involved. In July, we host our Realities Cup Golf Tournament. This is, uh, a, you know, this is really a premier golf outing. We do at Ptarmigan Country Club, and it's one of the most sought-after tournaments. It's usually sold out within 24 hours of announcement, so it's a very special event we put together. Uh, we have our night lights event, the big tree lighting on December 1st every year in our forever family ride. We have our, it's another ride we do in Labor Day where our riders come out and we call it the forever family ride. This is what our children in placement refer to wanting someday as their own forever family. And until they have their forever family and, and even after we come together and we ride for them to, to be their forever family. So these are a very diverse bunch of events that we do that allow people of all walks of life to find a way that they can plug in become aware and help us raise money and raise awareness for our children. Yeah. And even if you're not able to attend, um, there's lots of ways that you can help out with the setup and teardown. I think a bunch of our boys from YMSL came down and tore down the blue tree, you know, at the end of the season, things like that. You know, just just look on the website that we're going to have in the show notes because you can get connected um, as the events go or if you want to um, help out somehow as well. It just seems like there's a lot. And there's lots of ones that are coming up. You know, we had talked before we went live as well, just talking about Easter baskets that were mm -hmm. made because of the COVID-19 and about businesses that had to kind of close. You know, one of the businesses that, that I wanted to give a shout out was Cost Plus World Market because they, they had all these supplies that were laying around. And instead of just you know, toss them or I don't know what they would have done with it. They instead donated it, donated the actual items. And some of the Young Men's Service League, you know, uh, families were able to create Easter baskets. And then I saw your post come out after that, just explaining how many, how important it was to make contact during this social distancing and stay-at-home orders, but also that this helped you make that contact uh, again with these families that otherwise right now when we're all doing things from home, we don't have those touch points anymore. So there's tons of ways that you can get involved if you want to. Absolutely. And I would encourage people to explore. You can go to our website to events, learn about the major events. You can go to, there's a get involved tab on our website that speaks to you know everything from kind connect that we talked about to how they can donate 
how they can volunteer, if they want to even learn more about becoming a foster parent or supporting our business members, all the ways that they can get involved. As I just shared with you about our fundraising events that we do, there's also all these distribution events we talked about, Bikes for Tikes, Santa's Workshop, Back to School, the Easter Basket distribution that you just helped us out with. That went to provide it for 440 children locally. So we're constantly doing those sorts of things and we're looking for people to get plugged in, involved, and aware. Then, of course, I mentioned all of our agencies. We have 39 agencies that have amazing events throughout the year. Being plugged into those agencies, their events, there's ways to get involved. And then there's ways we really encourage people to do their own events. There's what we call third-party events. You can do a, a neighborhood bake sale. You can do whatever you want to do and raise some money for our kids, raise some awareness. So we really want to, like you said, I think there's a way that anybody can, anyone who cares can get involved. They have the gifts, the talents, and the ability on some level to to benefit our children, and we want to encourage that. Why do you do what you do? You know, so you've got to have some stories that you pause and think, oh my gosh, this is like the reason why, like I keep going, like this is why I'm doing, I love what I'm doing. So what are some of these stories that keep you going? We have thousands of stories. We serve thousands of children a year. One thing I would say is that, you know, our work is definitely a long game. We don't do something today and reap the benefits of that tomorrow. It's, it's, uh, I have children that I've worked with since they were three years old and, uh, you know, we able to stay connected with these kids and, and, and young adults in amazing ways. Our Triumph Awards, we provide collegiate scholarships and post-emancipation support for children that are emancipating out of the system. We've been doing that for nearly 20 years, which means I have children that are in their late 30s that uh, still come back to our organization and stay plugged in. We just did a, for our upcoming, the gala this year, we're doing our Keeping Dreams Alive Awards. And I did a video with a young man who received a dream from us. And the Dream Awards are designed to really encourage these kids to not give up, to believe that there's people out there that care, that believe that can be a better tomorrow and show them that we're there for them. That's so powerful. And, and this young man came in and shared his story about being a, a, a Dream Award recipient and one of the kids that we worked with. And the night of the Dream Awards that we did, he actually met, his, his dream for the future was to be adopted, to have his own forever family. The night of our Dream Awards, he met his future mom and to the day one year later, I was in the courthouse for that adoption scene. I mean, we see, you know, I see horrible things. We see amazing things. We see powerful stories. I think one that uh, a young gal that's been part of my journey with Realities for Children even before I started, you know, she was three years old in a case with five sisters in a very abusive and a neglectful household. And I've been through her with her through the termination of parental rights, the, the multiple foster homes, the adoption ceremony she ultimately went through. I was at her high school graduation. Uh, she's spoken at our events. I was at her wedding two years ago, and she brought to my attention that there's nobody at her wedding that had known her longer than me. And then I was there for the birth of her child, and she had continued, and I just got the most beautiful little uh, Easter drawing from her six-month-old uh, just this past Easter. So, I mean, there are, but that's 25 years, <laughs> you know, and I love those relationships. I, these aren't cases to me. These are my children. These are the kids that I have fought for and our members have fought for and our agencies have fought for, and we have been there. It's a hard question to answer. Is there a story? Uh, what was that thing? But it's, it's all of them. And, and the ones that are, are struggling, ones that you know, our homeless, the kiddos that are in prison or those that are, you know, really trying to figure out which way's up or having chemical addictions issues as a result of their background. All of those kids, it's not just the successes 
that are the stories and the kids that I love. It's every single one of them. I guess the last thing I'd want to share, too, is we are in National Child Abuse Prevention Month. This is a month we're trying to bring greater awareness. And, of course, it's a very challenging month for our children in placement during stay-at-home orders. Uh, there's a lot of challenges that are being faced out there. And we're working very, very hard to, to be able to meet all of these additional emergency needs that are coming at us and all of these you know, new situations we're dealing with with COVID and the efforts to prevent its spread uh, and how that impacts our children and their safety. And so I would encourage people to look at what the item needs are. I would tell you right now, if people want to make a donation at realitiesforchildren.com, during National Child Abuse Awareness Month, one of our business members, uh, Blue Federal Credit Union, is matching dollar for dollar the first $25,000 donated. So you make a twenty dollar donation, and it turns into forty dollars for our children. So I'd encourage people. There's no amount too small or too great. It's one hundred percent of that is going to our kids, and I'd, I'd really, really uh, like to encourage people to uh, to consider doing that during uh, during National Child Abuse Prevention and Awareness Month. What's one piece of advice that you might be able to share with my listeners on making the world a better place? Uh, you know, for me, it's it's kindness. I think uh, we. We can get very busy. We can get very caught up in, in in our life and what we're doing. But I never think we should be too busy to be to be kind. And we never know how far that goes. You know, you don't know the person that you're witnessing to, what they're struggling, what they needed to see. Obviously, we're talking about ways that people can plug in and be kind to people that are very much struggling. But uh, I think that's one of the things that makes Realities for Children families so unique and so powerful is that I'm surrounded by some of the kindest people on the planet, whether it's our volunteers our business members, our partner agencies, our donors, our event attendees, uh, our staff, our board, our leadership, and what we do, just uh, are looking for ways to be kind. There's a, there's a sign um, as you leave our facility, you know, you come in, it walks in, it says, tells you where to go to the distribution and everything else. But I don't know if you've ever looked at the sign as you're leaving it. And on the back of that sign, it just says, be the kindness in the world you're looking for. And I think if we can just not try to think about changing the world as this monumental thing that we need to do, but think of it as that little thing that we can do every day, all the time. That's going to be the greatest change. And I think the second part to that then is sharing it. People see that witness, they want to know more about it, and there's an opportunity to share how they can get involved. All your listeners have the opportunity now to, to tell one person that maybe doesn't know about realities for children, one person that doesn't know about how they can get involved through Kind Connect or see their, their dollars go 100% to kids. Be the voice, that, that kindness, be that voice for our kids. They're silenced by abuse and they need people to be their voice and everybody has the ability to do that. Thank you so much for tuning in to Connecting a Better World and thank you, NOCO FM, for supporting this show. If you haven't heard, NOCO FM is dedicated to bring diverse voices and spotlighting a unique culture to Fort Collins and beyond. For more information, please visit www.noco.fm. If you connected to something in this episode, we would love to hear from you. Our contact info will be listed in the show notes, as well as you can reach us on our social media channels. Please feel free to share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. For more shows, please tune in to noco.fm online. This has been a production of NOCO FM. 